Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Have you ever made a decision that you immediately regret? You ever done that? Or you're like, yeah, I did this thing, and then you have this like wave wash over you. You're like, oh no, I've made a terrible choice. Um, I did this once with seafood. How many of you like seafood? Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand you folks. Um, I don't like seafood unless it's like beer battered and fried, and then maybe I will have it. it and, and really, you could almost beer batter and fry anything, and I'll give it a shot, right? Like, uh, but I, I remember, this actually came up when we were, in, when we were in, uh, with a group of people in Turkey last month because we were with some friends there in Istanbul, and they said, um, hey, the last night we're going to take you out to a seafood place. And I was like, oh, no. And so I was like, what are, you know, and, and I wish in this moment that I was allergic to seafood because then I could just be like, I'm allergic. Instead, I'm basically just like a toddler. I'm like, it's yucky. I don't like it, you know. So, so but, but the cool thing is one of the people I was with was allergic to seafood. And she pulled me aside. She's like, Chris, like, I'm allergic to shellfish, like, big time. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went back to the people. I was like, you know what? We got somebody with us that's allergic. You know, like, I'd be cool with it, but... She's allergic, so we can't. We're going to need to find something else. And so we found something else. Praise God. Um, no, I don't like seafood. And um, a couple of years ago, someone gave Abby and I a gift card to CanCan. And CanCan's a cool restaurant right here in Carytown and really like it. And my theory on gift cards is if someone gives you basically like free money to go out to eat, this is your opportunity to try something new. And, and I say I don't like seafood, but the truth is I haven't tried a lot of it, right? There might be that one thing that I like. So we went to CanCan on a gift card, and I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try seafood tonight. Now, you've got options. There's like raw bar, whatever the heck is going on over there. And then you've got like very, you know, swordfish and whatever else. Like, I'm going to try seafood. And so I decided to jump in. And, and I don't know what's like the shallow end of seafood and what's the deep end, but I went for mussels. Apparently, that's the deep end of seafood. <laughs> so I was like, I'll get mussels. I was going to put garlic and butter on it. I like garlic. I like butter. This will be fine. So they brought us mussels, and um, they bring them out. You know, they're like in a black shell. I don't know what's going on there. And this tray of shells comes out in like, I don't know, a bucket or something. I was like, okay, here we go, you know. And so um, my wife likes all right, and so she's eating. I'm like, all right, here we go. We're on our date. I'm trying mussels. I'm being doing the thing, you know, and so I, I, whatever, you, like, bought, there's a fork, I don't know, like, somehow, it got in there, and, I, and it was, like, immediately, I was, like, oh, dear God, like, this was a bad decision, and I, like, sp- I just spit it up like a child <laughs> on, on a date, you know, I, I spit it up like, like, oh, Yati, get it away from me, you know, and my wife's, like, what do you do, I was, like, I, I can't get it down my throat, because it, like, slithers, kind of, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 and and I would say it's a texture thing, but it's everything, it's the texture, it's the taste, it's the emotion that it kicks up, it's all of the things together, I was like, nope, not doing it, and so I was like, I have made a bad choice here, and I'm like, and I'm sitting there going, why didn't I order steak, I would have loved steak, steak is a good, but but because it was a gift card, I was like, I can justify it, whatever, and so I I realized I had made a bad choice, now I want to be clear, my choice 
was bad for me. But my choice wasn't like evil or like morally wrong. And if you like muscles, good for you. Go get them. Have all of them. You can have mine, <laughs> right? Like if you, but like, but the, because it's not a matter of right and wrong, good or evil. And, and I was thinking about that because most choices in life are kind of like that, right? Most choices aren't this clear cut, this is a good thing to do, this is a bad thing to do, and that's it, period. Most choices are like better or best or eh, it's okay and this won't hurt you or this is maybe all right. Like, and, and, and I think some of the hardest choices we have to make are between things that seem kind of neutral. They're not clear cut, right and wrong, because usually... Usually with clear-cut right and wrong, we can go, that's a bad idea, it's a good idea. Like, that's easier stuff. But somewhere in between, we have to make these choices. And I was thinking about that um, because the text that I want to close out this section of 1 Corinthians on that we've been studying through, the text we're looking at, gets into a little bit. It, it may not scream that it's about choices to you when you read it. Um, but it gets into that idea of, of how do we filter through the decisions that we have to make and say this is a good thing or this is not a good, a good thing to do. Um, We've been in this series called Life, Liberty, and Limitations, and, and we've been talking the last couple weeks. Topher did a fantastic job last week of, of pointing towards idolatry, which is an uncomfortable topic for us. But we've been looking at, for the last four weeks, and finishing up today, this idea that with life comes responsibility. We have choices to make. We have freedom, yes, and, and especially in this country, it's something we celebrate. But there are limitations on us, some that other people put on us, some that government puts on us, some that as followers of Jesus we put on ourselves or the Lord has placed on us. And, and there, there are boundaries w within which we're supposed to operate. And so we've been looking at that and seeing how we can, we can do that well. And, and so um, 1 Corinthians 10 that we're going to finish up with, uh, some of it covers a lot of the ground that we've covered the last couple of weeks. So I'm not going to go back and go through a whole thing about meat sacrifice to idols and stuff like that. We're not going to get into all those things again. Um, but, it, but it does kind of summarize where we've been and I think kind of puts a, a, a bow on the top of this whole series uh, that we've been in. So let, let me start with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, picking up where Topher left off. Uh, verse 23, it says this. Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful but not all things build up. When you see it in quotes there, all things are lawful, um, he's quoting them. So there may be letters that, that they wrote to him, right, that he's responding to in this letter. We don't have those letters. Or he may be just using a common phrase that he's heard in the church at Corinth, or it's relayed back to him, this is what people are saying, or it's a common attitude that people take in that day, in that culture, where they basically say, all things are lawful. And for them, lawful um, probably has a connotation not just of civil law but religious law, which is something we're not as used to in our culture. Uh, civil laws, we know about speed limits. You know, you can't, do, there's things you can and can't do in society, and there are laws for those, and they're enforced by the police. Uh, but religious laws are something different. They are things like don't eat shellfish, which I think is a religious law we should have kept. Um, <laughs> Don't eat, like, don't eat these things, or you shouldn't have pork, or uh, you need to wash certain things in certain ways, or you shouldn't mix these kind of things together, or you should, on the Sabbath day, you should take this day off and not go to this place. Like, these are religious laws, and the, the sum total of those laws can be very weighty on a person. I mean, like, man, there's a lot of things I have to keep track of to be a good religious Jew in that day or, or whatever. And so, um, and, and you see those in culture today, um, not as much in America, but if you go to Orthodox, see Orthodox Judaism in Israel, you will see a lot of extra laws about how you dress and your hair and things like that. Um, if you go to a Muslim country, you'll see... Um, 
hey, we all pray five times a day facing Mecca, these kind of things, men and women are separate in these ways. Like, you see extra laws. And so uh, the, the early followers of Jesus were feeling pretty liberated, including in Corinth. They're feeling pretty liberated from that kind of stuff, and they're going like, man... And, and maybe their quote was, all things are lawful. I can do whatever I want. And the American version of that is to be, I'm a free person. I can do what I want. I'm a grown man or woman, right? Like, this is the kind of thing we would say in our culture, like maybe they would say. They would say, all things are lawful. We would say, I can do what I want. I have freedom. And Paul would, Paul would affirm that. Yes, the door is wide open to you. God is loving. God is gracious. He's good. All things are lawful. But don't be an idiot. Like, don't. Like, just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's a good idea. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you actually should. There's this gap between uh, knowing things and then knowing what to do with the things or, or, or handling them well. It's a gap between, you could call it, knowledge and wisdom. And the older I get, the more I see it. There is no shortage of knowledge in the world. You can know about all of the things I don't even know why people go to school anymore. Like, right? Like, why do we, because it's all, like, everything is there. You can, if you want to go get it, you can go get it. There's all sorts of knowledge to be had. Don't email me. I know why we go to school. I love school teachers. All right, let's move on. I was like, well, I'm going to hear about that later. Uh, no, like, um, the, the, all the knowledge in the world is available to you. If you want to look up anything about anything, there's some corner of the internet that has it for you or in a library or in a book or in, like there's so much information out there for you to have. The, the, it, the issue isn't about how do we get knowledge. The issue becomes more of what's real and what's fake. What's good, what's not so good. What, uh, how do I evaluate it? it? Now, if you give me an opinion based on your knowledge on any topic... And you come at me and you go, this is what I think about um, government, about economic policy, about sexuality, about drug usage, about uh, pornography. Like, pick anything you want and give me an opinion about it. And the question isn't necessarily, is that true or not? The question that we have to talk about before you get to whatever your opinion is, is how do you know that's true? Where did that come from? What is the standard by which you are using to evaluate whether something is true or not, or good or bad? Like, we're all using some sort of standard for this. How, how, do we, how do we know? Because, and this is important, because life will throw a million little decisions at you. Choices. Should I go there or not go there? Should I move or not? Should I take that job or not? Is this the right career for me or not? Should I go to this college or not? Should I, you know, should I study for this test or not? Uh, should I drink that? Should I eat that? Should I smoke that? Should I be with this person? Should I stay away from that person? Like, there are so many decisions that we're faced with in life. And the question isn't just, is it right or wrong? You have to back up and go, like, how do I even decide? By what standard am I even living by? Is there any should in the world that I would ascribe to? Or am I just going to make all of these up for myself as I go? What is driving the bus of our decision-making and our choices? I think there's two things that drive the bus in our culture, and I just want to look at them briefly and then point to some, some things that I think Paul points us to in 1 Corinthians 10. Um, one of the big drivers for decision-making in, in modern life, uh, maybe in America more than others, but probably in the West very much, but maybe just the modern world in general, um, we, we drive and make our decisions by our feelings. We have moved um, how we feel, how something makes us feel, 
to the front and center position in our decision making. Um, and, and primarily in the West, we have decided that being happy is the feeling we most want, and it's the one we are putting above all others. If it makes you happy, what Sheryl Crow sang decades ago, it can't be that bad. So happiness, good, uh, and, and it kind of becomes the top shelf for us, and everything else will fall underneath that. Um, and, and, and we've decided that. Um, the problem with making feelings front and center is that, as the ancient prophet Jeremiah said to the Israelites in Jeremiah 17.9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's several thousand years old and still really true and honest and real. The heart is deceitful. So if you want to make decisions based on how do I feel about it, can, that's not necessarily going to go well for you because it, your heart is deceitful, your own heart. I don't know your heart. I know your actions. I can see what you do, but I don't know your heart. I can't judge your motives well. And here's the truth. I don't know my own heart very well, and I can't judge my own heart because I can lie to me, and you can lie to you. It's deceitful. You've done it, right? You've lied to yourself before. Right? You've pretended that that food is healthy, and it's not. You've pretended that dating that guy was a good idea, but it wasn't. And you knew that. You knew that, right? You thought this would make me happy, but it didn't. Like, we, we pretend not to know things. We deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. Our hearts are deceitful. We say, oh, this isn't hurting anyone. I'm just going to do this thing. It's not going to hurt anyone. When the truth is, it, it is hurting someone, and it, it might, even if it's only hurting you. Um, so I'm not anti-feeling. The Lord gave us feelings for a reason. They are part of what it means to be body and soul and, and to live as God's good creation. The feelings are valuable. Feelings are a light on the dashboard that says, hey, notice this. Here's a thing. This is good or bad. or this, You need to pay attention to this. Like, this is important. Um, feelings have value, but we can't be slaves to them. We need other things to help keep them in line. C.S. Lewis would say, what we need is faith. Listen to the way he says it. This is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods, feelings, where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Consequently, one must train the habit of faith. Man, that's challenging. Lewis is saying you, you can't live by what, just by what you feel. If you do that, you're not going to be a good Christian. You wouldn't even be a good atheist. You're just going to be this person that's dithering to and fro, he says. You're basically a slave to your passions and, and your desires, and you'll never really be uh, anything. You'll just be kind of floating on this wave of how good is the weather, and am I employed, and how am I feeling about my relationships today, and did I eat something that agreed with me, and that'll sort of drive, uh, uh, drive your life. Um, so we can't just live by what we feel. And I think Paul in 1 Corinthians pushes us beyond the feelings. Um, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Just because it may feel good to you or you might enjoy it, it doesn't mean it's, it's helpful to us. Not all things build up. All things are lawful. He says, not all things build up. Which tells me that there are some things that are legal that aren't good for us. Because I think if culture says, 
I'm driven by feelings. The other thing our culture says, which would, which would help us make decisions, is not does this feel good, but also, like, is it legal? Like, if it's legal, then it's okay. That's kind of the other way we kind of sort through as a culture what is good and bad. Well, is it legal or not? And I think we have to look beyond that as well, and Paul will push us beyond that. Yeah, all things are lawful. This thing may be legal for you to do, but should you? Is it a good idea? And, and, and you might think I'm saying, oh, well, some things are legal that are sinful. That is true. But I think it's more than that. There are some things that are legal, not sinful, and still not a good idea. I think uh, the author of Hebrews gets at this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, listen closely to this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He likens our lives to a, good for the Olympics, right? He likens our lives to a race that we're running. There's witnesses around us, people cheering us on, and he, and he basically says there are things that are going to hinder you. They are sins which cling so closely. And then just every weight. There are things that will weigh you down that are not sinful, actually. They're not, you couldn't say, oh, this is definitely morally evil. They're just not great. And wisdom is knowing the difference, that this thing is not going to build me up. It's not going to help. It's, it's not a sin. It's just a bad idea. Eating all the brownies, not a sin, probably. Probably a bad idea, though. Not, and I love them. I love some brownies, all right? Not, not a sin, but a bad idea. Being a serial adulterer, sin. Dating a serial adulterer, bad idea. Maybe not a sin, bad idea. Bet that doesn't work out well for you, right? Not necessarily a sin. It's just not a good idea. There are things that weigh us down, that entangle us, that slow us up, that keep us from being who God has called us to be, that are just bad ideas. And wisdom is learning the difference and understanding. That's how we make wise choices. Some of wisdom that we get will come from experience. Well, people would tell you wisdom comes from experience. It doesn't really. Wisdom, uh, learning comes from experience. Or, or, or experience comes from experience. Like, okay, I did the thing, found out it was bad, I won't do that again. That's not necessarily wisdom, that's experience. Wisdom would be, um, someone else did the thing, told me it was bad, and I listened. And I was like, oh, that is a bad idea. Okay, I don't have to try it to know that it's not a great idea. Um, There's wisdom in that. The strongest drug I've ever tried, ready for my confession? Strongest drug I've ever tried, um, not not counting whatever they give you post-surgery, um... It's probably caffeine. I don't know. Is al- does alcohol fit as a drug? I've had alcohol. Okay, so I'll say caffeine. I've not tried something harder. Um, uh, is my life lacking? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I can look at people who have tried much harder things and seen the road that it has gone down for them, and I can go... Yeah, maybe not. And, and I've had people report back to me, hey, I got into this, I got hooked on this, I got, went down this road, and I can go, okay, I'll learn from your experience. I don't need to go out and have it to, to know. Um, so, so as culture evaluates choices, decisions, it will say, um, do, does it feel good? Or secondly, is it 
lawful? Is it legal? But I, I think for followers of Jesus, we have to go beyond that. Our moral and ethical code is not defined by the U.S. Constitution. Just because something is legal doesn't make it a thing that we necessarily want to be involved in. We are in a different standard. This was true in the Roman Empire. The, Roman, the early Christians in the Roman Empire, of which Corinth would be smack in the middle of all of that, they are doing crazy things like only being married to one person and only being in a relationship sexually with one person, a man and a woman. That was crazy in that culture. You did all sorts of stuff beyond that sexually. And, and the Christians were weird because they were setting the standard and they were trying to be wise and they were trying to live different than the culture that they lived in because God called them to something different than that. Um, that, that the early Christians treated women better than the Roman culture treated women. They elevated women. That was weird. That was different. You didn't do that in those days. And yet they did. Now, now you, thousands of years later, can look back on it and go, well, you should have treated women better. Y'all were terrible back then. Sure, now we say that. But in their day, this was radical. And they did it because of what God told them relationships are about. What God said the dignity of men and women truly is. That's what they were ascribing to, not what Roman culture was saying. And we have those things in our culture, and we can't set our faith, we can't make our choices, our morality, our ethics cannot be defined by just because it's legal or just because American culture says it is so. Um, we live in a culture uh, where abortion is legal. Um, that's not true of every culture in the world today, but it is true here. And it's not something I preach about a lot. You won't hear me talk a lot about it. Um, but it's, it's real, it's a thing in our culture that, that this is allowed. And, and maybe the, one of the reasons I don't preach about it a lot is because I think the conversation needs to be handled with grace and compassion. And people are in hard decisions and people have made hard choices and, and people have done things. Um, and there's a, there's a lot sort of psychologically that hangs over, over people um, around abortion for men and for women. Or I should say definitely for women, everybody knows that, but I've seen, it, uh, I've seen the effects of it on men also. Um, so there's a lot there. And I don't talk about it a lot. But we have lived in a culture where we have, and we live in a culture where we have said that the rights and preferences of a mother takes precedence over the child, over the unborn. Um, that's a choice we've made as a culture. And um, legally, that's where we're at. But Christians are called to something deeper than that. And we're, we're called to see the dignity of human life. Um, and that everybody is created in the image of God. And so we need to walk a different road than there. We can't have our compass set by the legality of something. Following it, followers of Jesus need to align with him as our north star, as our guiding light, as our, as our, as our true north. Um, if the rest of the culture doesn't align with Jesus, that's fine. I heard a preacher say, pagan's going to pag. I don't know what that means, but sounds good to me. Yeah. People are going to do what they do. Culture is going to do what it does. It's not my job to correct culture. But I will challenge myself, my family, and followers of Jesus to say, hey, let's not, let, we're kingdom people. Let's remember that and not set our, our values, our ethic, our moral, our, and make our decisions with the decision-making filter that the culture uses. So what is our true North Star? How, how do we make uh, the choices. How do, we, how do we make wise choices and choose what is best? Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 10, further down, look at verse 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all 
to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Paul says it this way, basically, make your life about glorifying God. When you make decisions, think, how do I glorify God in this? Not just does it feel good, not just is it legal, but does this glorify God? Does this honor him with my decisions? And he says, do all things this way. Whatever you do, eat, drink. So whether you eat, drink, live um, here or there, uh, you take this job, you're in this relationship, you have this conversation, like all of the things, you're parenting, all of the things, do them, Paul says, for the glory of God, which means um, you have to think in terms of how does this connect, how does this connect to God? Am I doing something, am I honoring God with this decision? Uh, for uh, 400 years ago, uh, a, a group of Presbyterians wrote uh, what, it, what, has, what was known as the Westminster Catechism. And the, longer, the Westminster Longer Catechism is like, here are the things, we, here's the doctrine and the beliefs of the church that we will teach to the church. And, and ministers would use it to teach the congregation. Um, and then they developed something called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is like the greatest hits of the Longer Catechism, uh, designed for children. And it's done in a question and answer format. So there'd be a question, what is this? And then there's an answer, it's this. And you would teach this to children and children would memorize this because this is part of spiritual formation and this is how we learn what is true and dial into it. And one of the most famous uh, lines from the, you didn't know it had famous lines, but there's some, there's some sweet bars in this thing uh, in, the, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, is the question, and, and it sounds like this, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? That's the question. And I'm wondering how you might answer that question if it was posed to you. What is the chief end of man? Okay, that's an old way of saying, what are we here for? What is your purpose? What are you here for? What is the purpose of all this? Why? Why are we alive? Where is this going? What is it about? What is the chief end? What, you, you, you. You have purpose. You have function. There's something about you. It's going somewhere. What is it? And I would argue, in our culture today, we have basically no answer to that question. And we don't want to think about it. Because if you think about it and you conclude there's nothing, there's no answer, there's no hope, there's no future, it just is like oceans of despair. Oh, this is going nowhere. Life sucks, then you die. <laughs> It's awful. So what we do is we don't think about it because who wants to look despair in the face? Who wants to stare into the abyss of nothing? And instead we ignore the question. Don't ask me that. Purpose meaning I'm just trying to finish college. Purpose meaning I'm just trying to raise up this kid. Purpose meaning I'm just trying to get promoted. And we just, and we just, and we just. I'm just trying to do this thing. I'm just trying to do this thing. I'm just trying to chase whatever carrot has been dangled in front of me. And I will do that until one day I'll be dead. And you think that solves the problem, that we have no end and no purpose. But it doesn't. It just moves it into the background. It becomes underlying nagging anxiety and angst. And if you could define American life, and this has been true for hundreds of years, it is built in with this underlying sense of angst because we've ignored the answer to this question what are we here for I don't know 
let's party, we'll figure it out tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. The answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism was this. The chief end of man, and the children were taught to say this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is what we're here for. That's 1 Corinthians 10, is it not? And whatever you do, glorify God. Now, we don't, we don't talk about glorifying things often, right? The word glorify means to, to, to hold something up into a high esteem, to honor, to praise, we don't use that word very often. In church, you might use it, glorify God, and there might be a song about it. And you might know it from some other context. They say, oh, that movie just glorifies violence. So what, the, what do they mean? Do they mean the movie was violent? Yeah, but we're, it's more than that, right? We're saying that the movie was so violent that it's basically holding up violence as being awesome and just kind of making it a thing and making it everything. That's what we mean when we say glorify something. And... And the filter for us, then, as followers of Jesus is, hey, does this glorify God? And in the decision that I'm going to make about career, about friendships, about relationships, about dating, about whatever the thing is, um, will this glorify God? Not do I, does it feel good, not is it legal, but does this actually honor him? Am I honoring him with my life, with my decisions, with the way I dress, with what I eat, what I drink, how I spend my time, what I, what I allow myself to look at. Do I honor him with this? This, this filter helps us um, get, a, get a, a vision of, of what life is about. It gives us purpose and meaning, and it gives us direction where, where life is going. I'm going to enjoy God forever. I'm going to be with him forever. And if you, and if you have a vision for your future, it helps you right now, not just in the future. You know this in other ways. If you said, I want to go on vacation next year, and I'm going to go on this really great vacation, and it's going to cost $10,000, and you're like, I don't have $10,000, you would begin, because that's off in the future, this $10,000 vacation, you would go, I'm going to save money. Okay, and that helps you make decisions now. Do I want to, do I want to supersize that meal? Maybe not, because I've got to save money. I want to put money away, because off in the future, I've got this thing. It helps you budget your life and your money right now when you know what's happening in in the future. Um, so, so this is what um, this, this chief end of man idea does. This is what glorifying God does. Is it, it, it helps us budget our lives now because we're thinking about what the future holds for us and what God is doing in us and, and, and through us. We glorify him. We, we elevate him to the highest degree. We honor him. We make much of him. Um, this is what we're here for. This is... And, and, and truthfully, everything functions better when it functions according to its purpose. Um, I'm, I'm supposed to play golf this week. I used to play all the time as a kid. Uh, I hardly play anymore, but I'm scheduled to play. And uh, I'm going to get out. I, I got an old set of Titleist golf clubs. And the Titleist golf clubs are well-suited to hit a small ball onto a large patch of green grass not always when I hit it. Sometimes it's well-suited to put it in the woods. But generally, right, that's what it's for. A golf club will also break open a window. But when I do that, I am not honoring Titleist. I am not honoring its creator because I'm using it for something it was never intended to be used for. A coffee cup is good because it's insulated and it holds a warm beverage. That's what it's for, and its highest and best use is when I use it to hold a warm beverage. That's, it's good for that. Um, what is the highest and best use of humanity? What are we here for? 
uh, for followers of Jesus, I would say our highest and best use is to honor God and to glorify him in whatever we do. So as you face a choice or decision, ask the question, what would honor God here? Now, that may not be an easy answer. Some things aren't clean cut, right? You may have to dig deep and go, not just is this right or wrong, good or bad, legal or illegal, moral, immoral, like any of that. Does this honor God? Let me think through that and let me ask a wise counselor. Let me read the scripture. Let me pray to God. Let me, let me look into this. Does this honor God? It's a hard, hard thing you might have to dig. Um, but if you're going to get good answers, you have to ask those kind of questions. Um, uh, Charles Kettering, a famous inventor, said it this way. A problem, I heard this on a podcast the other day, I loved it. A problem well stated is half solved. But a problem not well stated is unsolvable. It's not just what's the answer, it's get the question right. Because if you're asking the wrong questions, you're going to get wrong answers. It doesn't matter how good your answer is, it's not going to, it's not going to work. It, you have to know what you're really dealing with up front. If, you're, if you think my problem is I'm not happy enough, then you will go searching for solutions for happiness. And you'll miss the fact that that's probably not the thing, that there's a hole in your soul that you're going to try to stuff money and success and all sorts of things in, and that's just not going to do it for you. Um, you have to understand what you're really dealing with. We have to do the work of creating to our true purpose and our creator. So number one, make your life about glorifying God. And then number two, in facing choices and decisions, think at, with this as a filter. Um, I just say it this way, be outward focused. Be outward focused. Paul says it. He's like, for the Jews, I'll become like the Jews, to the Greeks. And he's like, I'm doing everything I can to reach as many people as possible. This is a man on a mission. This is focus. This is someone who's very clear that the chief end of man is to glorify God. He wouldn't use those words exactly. But he's clear, this is what I'm, I'm here for. And in doing so, in honoring God, I'm going to reach other people people. I'm working hard so others may be saved. You are surrounded with people who need to know God. Need to know. Like there's blessings of following God. We talked about a few weeks ago. And and you know people that you could invite in to be part of those blessings and, and who need to be in a relationship to God through Jesus. Who need to give their lives to him and be baptized into him. And if you want to do that, if you're like, man, I need to follow God, write on your connection card, your Try 5 card that we gave you when you come in and check on there about baptism. We will reach out to you and talk to you and say, hey, if you want to get baptized, give your life to Christ and, and connect with him. This is the way to go. Because we as a church are outward focused. That's what we're, we're here uh, to help others know God and not just know him ourselves and keep it quiet as a little club. I told you we went to Turkey uh, last month. I'm going to show you a lot of video. We shot a lot of video in Turkey, uh, and I'll show you that starting next week. For the whole month of August, we've got, uh, we had some scripts that were written, and we, 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 we shot some, some stuff, and it's, it's good. It's good. But we, we spent a week in Istanbul, and um, we spent some time with some workers there that we support. And uh, one of the things they asked us to do while we were there and just sit with this for a second about how this would land on you if they asked you to do it. They asked us to walk out into the street, not the street exactly, but into, into town, go to a park, whatever, find a random stranger and start talking to them about Jesus. So that happened. And, um, and my reaction to being told to do that was a little bit like your reaction, because I react like an American. 
And in America, you don't talk to strangers, and you don't, you certainly, and if you are, do not talk to them about religion or politics, right? You don't do that. If you're going to talk to a stranger, you better be selling Quickstar or something. Like, there's got to be a reason to bridge that gap. So, so I was like, yee, okay. Um, so we went out, we talk, um, across a language barrier with a translator, makes it extra fun. Um, it was fine, it was fine. It was uh, something I thought, this will be really weird. And it wasn't really weird, it's just a little weird. And that was fine. But here's what I concluded after a week there. Uh, my conclusion was, we're, we're here working with a team of people who have given their lives to being here so that people will know Jesus. They care about this. This is what, this is the focus. People need to know Jesus. So every week, they go out and talk to people about Jesus. Should I be surprised by that? Like, would, it, would I try to do it differently? Probably. I'd probably, like, want to start a coffee shop and, like, put a cross up on, on the wall and hope somebody asks me about it, which they probably won't. And then I'll do that for years and say I tried. I love the intentionality of what they're doing. They're like, this is what we're here for. To be outward focused. We're not here to just be friends with each other. And I love that. We can debate the methods, but, but the heart is there. They're trying to be outward focused. And that's challenging to me. It's one of the things I brought back with me from this trip. Am I saying go up to everybody on the street in Carytown when you leave here today and start striking up all those conversations? No. But I bet there's someone in your life that you could talk to someone that you know that would benefit from hearing about what a relationship with God can be and that he's good. Um, so, so speak up. Honor God, glorify God when you are faced with choices and then also be outward focused. We're not just here um, for ourselves. We're here to love and serve others and to help lead them to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for um, these words from Paul. That the challenge there, that we, whatever we do, whether we eat, we drink, whatever, whatever, however we are living, we are running it through the filter of does this glorify you? And then, and then how can I reach other people? God, help us to do that and not get sucked into a very, very loud culture that says that the way you make decisions is decide if it makes you happy and decide if it's legal, then it's okay, or, or consensual, or all those kind of things that we try to put around decision-making. God, let us not be sucked into that, but live as, as kingdom people a different, to a different standard and a different way of being in the world. Um, thank you, God. Um, God, there's so many in this room that are going to be faced with so many of those kind of hard decisions this week, this month, this year. And they're going to have to decide what is good and bad, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, what is better than what is best. Um, God, may we, may we constantly come back to you as our, as our guiding light in all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.